Thank you for listening to the Adult and Teen Challenge of the Upper Cumberland podcast. A message from Pastor Tim McLaughlin. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, open up to Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse number 21. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 21 of Mark chapter 5, it says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to Him, and He was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went to him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Go down to verse 35. It says, While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and saw and, and those who were there with him and entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the little girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years old, twelve years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and he said that said that something should be given to her to eat. I go back to my own testimony, and I won't share it all with you or bore you with it. But I'm originally from uh, just north of Detroit, Pontiac, Michigan. And, uh, you know, I don't know my real father. My real father split before I was ever born. He found out my, uh, my mother was pregnant. They were just out of high school. They were not Christians. Um, she got pregnant, and he took off. I've never met him. I'm 45 years old, and I've never met my real dad. My mom married another man when, she, when I was two years old. He was a, an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. He was very abusive in every form, shape of the word. And um, I started smoking pot when I was seven, started smoking cigarettes, started drinking alcohol at seven years old. My stepdad died of an alcohol-induced stroke when I was nine, and so I never had that father figure in my life. When I was 12 years old, I was so out of control, my mom couldn't contain me. The, the school system caught me. I hardly ever showed up to school. I was failing every subject, but I showed up to school one day, probably to either buy drugs or sell drugs or do something, but not to go to class. And the principal got a hold of me, and he brought me into his office, and he called the law, and he called my mom, and he said, this is what we're going to do. You can't control your son, so we're going to turn him over to the authorities. The authorities will take control. At 12 years old, I was facing juvenile hall. They didn't have DCS back then like they have now. They said, we're going to put you in juvenile hall until you're 18 years old. You'll probably get out and you'll do something stupid and you'll spend the rest of your life in jail. See, this was what was spoken over me at 12 years old. I didn't have a father figure in the house to tell me otherwise. Now, thank God I didn't go to juvenile hall. I, uh, I called my stepdad's brother, my uncle, no blood relation, but I called him. And I said, listen, I've done a lot of bad things but jail at 12 is not where I need to be. He came up to the school. He talked to the principal. He talked to my mom. And this was the arrangement they made is my mom would sign her legal right to me over to my uncle. And he would raise me as his own. 
When I stand here today and I talk to you about my dad, my father, I'm talking to you about a man that was no blood relation to me, but he means everything to me because he brought me out of darkness. He was not a Christian, but he taught me some values. He taught me some things about life. He kept me out of jail. And it's because of him today, not because my life was perfect. It was not until 25 years old that I ever came to Christ. But if it was not for him, I would never have had that opportunity to come to Christ. See, what I want to talk to you about this morning is the fact that we need fathers in the household. Not just men that can go out and impregnate women, but we need fathers to be in the household that can stand up and can take care of their children. Many of these ladies and the young men that we help, that is the first thing that they talk about, is they come out of broken homes where dad is either non-existent physically or non-existent because he's even in the house, he doesn't really do anything. You know, when we think about all the names of God when you read throughout the Bible, but there's one that describes God that is, the name is Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah, the God who is there. You know, thank God that Jesus just didn't die on the cross, ascend into heaven and say, now you're on your own. No. He said, no, He said, it's to your advantage that I go away because now I'm going to send my spirit that's going to indwell us. Thank God He is here. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, He's in the midst. Do you know that He's here today? Jehovah Shammah is here today. Our Father said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You will not be alone. Come unto Me, all you who the labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, He gives us the promise that He's there. All we got to do is go to Him and acknowledge Him. Hundreds, even thousands of men have fathered children just to simply walk away and shun their responsibility. See, we need, to, we need to stand up. Men of God, we need to stand up. Women of God, we need to stand up. But see, what we need to do is we need to make sure at a young age we introduce our children to the Heavenly Father as quickly as we possibly can. I want to read some things to you real quick. It says, A decade ago, the number of murders committed by teenagers was about a thousand a year. So 10 years ago, the rate of murders by teenagers was about 1,000 a year across our nation. Today, the average is over 4,000 a year of teenagers committing murder. And largely, that is in part because of the mass shootings. Uh, You look at the young man, Adam Lanza, who killed 26 children at Sandy Hook. In, in Newton, Connecticut. And then you got Carl Pearson who shot a teenage girl and killed himself in a, in a high school in Colorado. Uh, one common uh, large problem with all of these, and we can go on, we can look at the, the deaths at MIT, the deaths in, uh, at the academy down in Georgia, all these different things, and all of them largely are in part because they came from homes where no dad was present. Every one of these school shootings, every one of these mass murders, every one of these problems, what they have figured out is there was no dad present in the household. When we start talking about all the other problems that, that, that raise up because of the lack of the father figure in the home in the past 30 years, there's been an increase in violent crime. There's been an increase in illegitimate births. There's been an increase in teen pregnancies. There's been an increase in teen suicide. And there's been an increase in substance abuse. Because there's no dad in the home. i got a point. I'm going to get there. See, the home doesn't just need a man. The home needs a father. So here in this story in Mark chapter 5, verse 22, we're told that there was a man by the name of Jairus that was a religious man. He was a ruler of the local synagogue and he was also 
a father. See, Jairus was presiding over the, he was the presiding elder over the synagogue and the assembly that included the whole community of Capernaum. His position made him one of the most prominent men in the congregation. He was neither a teacher nor a preacher, but he was responsible for the order of the synagogue service. Now I can tell you there was a time in my life before God called me in the ministry, I was in the car business. I was a general manager over one of the largest car dealerships in Cookville at the time, and I was working 70 to 80 hours a week. And I was in the midst of my mess. And thank God that He got a hold of me before my kids got old enough to recognize those things. Because as long as my kids, if you talk to them, they don't know a Sunday without church. But there was a time when they were one and two years old where Dad was non-existent in the house. And I thank God for a praying wife that came to me and she challenged me. She says, is this what life's going to be like for the rest of our married life? Are we going to raise our children up with you never being here because your work is more important than your family? Let me just tell you something, men and women. Work can never be more important than your family. Work can never take precedence over church. When people make the decision that they want to work on Sundays, that's a decision. You know, I know there are some churches out there that have church on Saturday night, but the Bible says forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. We need to make sure that we're bringing our families to church. We're raising our young people up in the fear and the ammunition of the Lord. Do your children see you pray? Do your children see you read the Bible? Do you set your children down and do you, do you talk to them about the things of God? See, this, these things are important. See, the Bible tells us right here in John chapter 16, verse 33, it says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. Thank God that Jesus has overcome. But your kids are never going to know that. You're never going to know that unless you spend time with the Father. You're never going to understand when things get bleak what He can do because we have gotten so distant away from God. So Jairus' little girl, 12 years old, the apple of his eye, is lying there and he gets the report that she's going to die. When we think about all these things and we think about Jairus and we think about he had heard about this man Jesus and he made a decision. I want to share with you three things real quickly that we as fathers and mothers that we need to take into our household. Some things that we need to, as Father Day approaches, to rise up, men, and be godly fathers. From this example of Jairus, the first thing we need to understand is this. Jairus was not ashamed to seek Jesus. He was not ashamed to seek Jesus. You know, we, we so many times, um, and I'm not saying you're not praying dads or you don't study your Bible, but so many times we think we've got to do it in quiet because we're embarrassed to have somebody see us. Dad, we need to be an example. We need to not be ashamed to seek Jesus. The Bible says in Mark 22, 23, says, When he saw him, he fell at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. Notice that Jairus is the one that sought out Jesus. He's the one. Dad was the one that sought out Jesus. You go to many churches across the nation, and it's filled with mothers. There's more women in church than there are men. Jairus didn't get up and say, Oh, my little daughter is sick. Honey, go find that prophet. Go find that teacher. No, he went. He was the man of the house. He stood up and did what he needed to do. See, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, 4, he says, And you fathers. He doesn't say, And you mothers. He says, And you fathers. Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. 
You fathers are responsible to do that. It's the father's responsibility to teach the children about God. It's not the mothers. It's not the churches. It's the dads. The second thing that we need to see about Jairus' daughter is this. Jairus was not ashamed to bring Christ into his home. Jairus was not ashamed to bring Christ into his home. The Bible says in Mark 5.38 that he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. As a Christian father, one thing that is a must for our family is that under your roof there has to be a better, has to be a better invitation for the King of Glory to come and reside. See, I can't just take my kids to church. And there was a time in my life when I did that where they, they heard about Christ for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but that's all they heard. They didn't hear anything else about Him the other six days of the week. No. You've got to invite the presence of God into your house, not just try to take your kids to church and think that's good enough. They need, they need to have Christ brought into their house. They need to spend time. They, they need to hear Dad talking about I can tell you for years, you know, my, my children, we would sit around and we would get devotions, and every morning we would sit around the table together. And we would pray before they went to school. We would pray uh, you know, before we did anything. We would read Bibles and do devotions. Because the deal was this. I had to invite Christ into the home. I couldn't just uh, hope that they were going to get it at school or that they were going to get it at church. We had to have a relationship right there. And Dad needed to be the one that was teaching them those things. You know, One of the things the, 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 this country needs the most is Christian homes. If we're dependent on Washington, D.C. to set the precedence, Lord, help us. We need homes where Christ resides. We need homes where Christ is welcome. We need homes where Christ is more than a picture on the wall, but He's a place where His presence is acknowledged, and His name is honored, and His word is obeyed. Psalm chapter 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. God has to be the ruler of your household, men. God has to be invited into your house. The third thing that Jairus' daughter saw about her dad was that he was not ashamed to express his love toward his child. He was not ashamed to express his love toward his child. He goes to Jesus and he says, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. What took Jairus' daughter from his side to seek a Jewish teacher? who compelled him to fall at his feet and beg and cry out? Love. Love compelled that father to do that. And like I said, the, the man that I call dad, the man that I call father, from the time I was 12 to this day today, he never fails to tell me that he loves me. I remember being 14, 15 years old, and my friends would pull into the driveway, and my dad works on pro streets. He worked, builds hot rods, and our garage was bigger than our house. And my friends would pull down the driveway and Dad's out in the garage working. I would come running out of the house to go out with my buddies for Friday night. And I'd walk out and say, hey, Dad, I'm taking off. And he'd holler out of the garage. He said, I love you, son. I said, I love you too, Dad. And I'd get in the car and we'd start driving away and we'd get halfway down the road and my buddies would start nudging me, I love you, Daddy. And i just let them rise me. That was all right. But at 19 years old, I was in the Marine Corps. My best friend was in the Marine Corps. Persian Gulf War just broke out and he was getting ready to go to the Philippines. His parents took him to the airport and they were saying goodbye and his mom was hugging him and his sisters were hugging him and dad walked up to him at the end and kind of did one of these pats on the arm and said, love you son, and turned around and walked away. After they got out of sight, he turned around and looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, I owe you an apology, man. 
I looked at him and said, what do you owe me an apology for? He said, all those years growing up, he said, I used to harass you because your dad said he loved you. He said, that's probably only the third, the third time in my life I've ever heard my dad say he loved me. Man, you got to tell your children that you love them. you got to show them. you got to let them know. We have to have love in the household, the love that Christ can only give us. See, Jairus loved his daughter, and his love is what brought Jesus into the house. His love is what raised her up. See, now the Bible doesn't tell us how long she lived. The Bible doesn't tell us anything else about this young girl uh, growing up or what she went on to do. But I can tell you this, with all assurance, without trying to contradict the Bible or anything, I believe this today. That young girl would walk out and she had a testimony. Because my daddy loved Jesus, I'm alive today. Now, these young ladies may not have had daddies that were there for them, but somebody loved them enough to get them into Teen Challenge. And it's because of that that they're alive today. We've got a nation out there. We've got people that are dying lost and going to hell out there, church. Thank God for this building. But do we understand that it can't stay in this building, that it has to go out there? We have to take it to the, to the streets. We have to take it to the highways and to the hedges. Those are the three most important things that we need to do. But I want to give you just, just ten things real quick. That we, not only as dads, but we as parents, there's some things that we need to, to do for our children. I don't care how old they are. You can say, well, my, my child's 15 years old and I've missed the opportunity. No, it's never too late to start. I'm going to tell you something. My in-laws, through my children, their grandchildren, that they finally came to a place where now that they're serving the Lord, you can make an impact these are, these are ten things we need to do. Number one, we need to get dedicate our children to God. There's a biblical precedence that we use in 1 Samuel where Hannah took Samuel to the Lord and she said, I dedicate him. We've got to dedicate our children to the Lord. We've got to make a decision when that child's born. I'll never forget when my daughter and son were born. The first thing I did is walked into the nursery and laid my hands on them and prayed and gave them over to the Lord. I said, God, I'll do whatever I can. You've got to help me. Ephesians tells us, give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. That we would know what is the hope of your calling for us in Christ Jesus. God, I need your wisdom in order to raise my children up, but I dedicate them to you first and foremost. Number two, we need to teach our children to fear the Lord. We need to teach our children to fear the Lord. Number three, we need to protect our children from ungodly influences. We've got to protect them from ungodly influences. Number four, we need to establish them in church. Let me just tell you something. And i got the two pastors back here who will agree with me. There is no perfect church. The families, we can't sit there and say, well, I'm going to go to this church for a couple months, and then I'm going to go to this church for a couple months, and then I want to go to this. You know, I don't like the way he preached. I don't like because they had that bald-headed teen child guy in. So I'm going to go someplace. You know, and listen. Find you a church and get in there. It's not perfect. You know, I've heard people say this. They say, where's a bunch of hypocrites go to that church? That's okay, because they got room for one more. Come on in. we got to get established in a church. Number five, we need to encourage them to remain separate from the world. Romans 12.2 tells us, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to not be conformed. We can't let our children be conformed. Number seven, we need to teach them God has a purpose for their life. Jeremiah 29.11 He tells us that He's got a plan for our life. A plan of good, not of evil, to give us a future and a hope. But we need to let our children know that there is a purpose. Number eight, we need to instruct them into the importance of prayer and the Word of God. 
We need to instruct them. We need to teach them prayer. We need to teach them how to study the Word of God. Number nine, we need to be an example by our actions, not just our words. We need to be an example by our actions, not just our words. And number ten, we need to show them that we are committed to God in our marriage and in our family. We need to show them that we're committed to God in our marriage and in our family. We need to take divorce out of our vocabulary. Our kids never need to hear us say that. If you're going to have disagreements, and and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, my wife and I have not always been perfect in this area, but go into the bedroom, shut the door, don't let your kids see you screaming and hollering at each other. We need to be an example to our children in our marriage and in our family. Psalm 127, verse 3 and 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed. You know, with over 400 adopted children um, in in this area, and that number is growing daily, I, I, I keep getting reports. We work closely with DCS about the number of children that are out there looking for homes. Children that have no homes to go to. Like I said, I think this number right here was about 400 or so that were out there that were looking to be adopted that need homes. We need to make sure that we're fathers, we're parents to our children. Do your children know that you love them? Do your children know that you love Jesus? And do they see you act it out? Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, and would like to know more about this ministry or consider supporting, please visit teenchallengeuc.org.